0: Hello and welcome to episode 309 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today for our story, one of deception, violence and murder. This week from the West Midlands. As always, let me begin by thanking all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of our community. That is Zach Stanett, Steve Blackwell and Sarah Roberts. Thank you all so much for your support. This week's podcast is sponsored by Typology, a company born from a mission to demystify skincare with simple, straight talking transparency. They make naturally active, effective, and sustainable skincare in France. I love the fact that all formulations are at least 80% naturally derived, 100% vegan, and that all plastic and aluminium containers are 100% recycled and 30% of the glass bottles are recycled too, but I really want to talk to you about their products. Typology sent me some of their best sellers in the UK, that's the 9 Ingredient Moisturiser, Radiant Vitamin C Serum, Radiant Night Serum and Eyelash Brow Serum. Wow! I love the products, all four of them, but in particular I love the moisturizer. There is none of that greasiness I sometimes see in moisturizers, and I have to be a little bit careful as I have very sensitive skin. But within days, I saw a real difference to my skin, and it feels great. Make sure to support this podcast by checking out Typology for yourself. Go to uk.typology.com forward slash true crime, and you'll receive a free lip and cheek balm worth £16 when you make a purchase. That's uk.typology.com forward slash crime. I love a cold case that's finally solved thanks to a clue hidden in a box. But what if you or maybe your parents have cupboards of nice things that haven't seen the light of day in years? Today's show comes from Vintage Cash Cow, which makes selling your old valuables less of an effort and they've paid out over £10 million to customers. Sign up and you'll get a free postage pack. Then fill a box for a vintage cash cow or book a collection, both at no cost. You can send jewellery, cameras, coins, vintage toys, and a load of other bits. Within a week, you'll have a cash offer, and there's no twist in the tail. You can accept the valuation and enjoy a fresh start, knowing your items won't go to waste. Or well, you can get them returned for free. The clock is ticking to earn on your first box. Vintage Cash Cow is offering a £20 bonus for listeners with the code TRUE. Just head to vintagecashcow.co.uk now, enter the code TRUE on the sign-up page and get £20 extra when you sell. That's vintagecashcow.co.uk and enter the code TRUE. And just think what you might find during the clear-out. Filling a box for a vintage cash cow sounds like a good way to begin a big job. That's how the detectives work. Just start small. Good luck. So let's quickly set some context for our story today with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK chart was Drake with In My Feelings. In the US, Drake was all over those charts too, including at number 9 with God's Plan. And in Australia, Drake had been given the rake and he had been knocked off the top of the album chart with Scorpion to be replaced by Amy Sharp with Love Monster. Nope, me neither. In the news this month, like me, you'd have wiped away a tear or two at the news that Cheryl and Liam Payne announced they were splitting up after two years. After the mighty lead said no thanks, Real Madrid forward Ronaldo joined Italian champions Juventus in a deal worth almost 100 million pounds. Cliff Richard won his privacy case against the BBC for reporting that he was being investigated over historic child sexual assaults. And so many political lightweights continued to get way too much publicity and acted like they lost the plot as the Brexit battle raged. And in UK True Crime News, General Webster, aged 19, was jailed for 17 years for the manslaughter of Joanne Rand, who died 11 days after he splashed her with acid. This case was the first acid killing in the UK. Did you guess the month and year? It was July 2018. Today's story comes from Badley Green, which is a small area of Staffordshire, about 45 miles south of Manchester, in the northwest of England. It's part of Stoke-on-Trent, a city of about a quarter of a million people in Staffordshire, probably best known for its history in mining and the potteries. And where strangers will call you duck. By 7.20pm, colleagues of 28-year-old Samantha Eastwood were starting to worry. Midwife Samantha was a very reliable colleague and if she had not been able to make her shift at the Royal Stoke University Hospital, she would not have let her colleagues down, but would have let them know. Samantha had worked a night shift the day before, and had left the hospital with a colleague at 7.45am that morning, and she'd been her normal self, good company and in good spirits. So where was she? One of Samantha's colleagues called her family to see if they knew where she was they didn't. After getting the call, Samantha's sister, Gemma, rang Samantha's ex-fiancée, John Peake, who agreed to go to the house where he used to live with Samantha to look for her. He picked up a set of spare keys and headed to her house at Greenside Avenue. Samantha was nowhere to be seen, and there was no sign of anything amiss in the house. John headed up the stairs to check Samantha's bedroom and he was met with quite a strange sight. Laid out on the bed was the wedding dress she'd bought ahead of their wedding, which didn't ever go ahead of course, along with her engagement ring and birthday cards that John had bought Samantha during their relationship. This was odd. Why would Samantha have left this stuff out on her bed? John headed back to Samantha's parents' house, where the family had gathered as they waited for news, and after a while they called the police. As soon as Samantha was reported missing, the police immediately treated her disappearance very seriously. The lead detective in the search for Samantha later said, When someone is reported missing, the police carry out a risk assessment as to what level the person needs to be treated as. Samantha was considered a high-risk missing person because it was completely out of character and there was no reason for her to disappear without taking her car or any belongings. Detectives immediately set to work, knowing that the first hours following disappearance are often so vital. They discovered really good CCTV of Samantha's house on the day she went missing, and watched her return home from her night shift at the hospital, as would be expected. But by the time Samantha had got home from her shift, A man had already been at her house, picking up some tools from the garage. This man was 32-year-old Michael Sterling, the brother-in-law of Samantha's ex-boyfriend, John Peake. Detectives knew that Michael Sterling was a landscape gardener, but why were his tools kept at Samantha's house? And this wasn't the only time he was seen there that day. CCTV captured him returning at about 1245 P.M., and he stayed there for the afternoon as at 5.02pm the same camera showed him leaving the property when he reversed his car up to the front door and drove away. There were no more sightings of Samantha leaving the house so it appeared that she was still there. But she hadn't been there when John Peake had gone to look for her. So had Michael Sterling kidnapped her? If so, why would he do this? And if not, how had Samantha left her house without being seen? Then on the morning after Samantha's disappearance, the 28th of July, her sister Gemma made contact with the police to say that she'd received texts from her sister. In an exchange of text messages that morning, Gemma had texted Samantha asking her to contact the family and Samantha had replied asking to be left alone the text continued with Samantha saying she was having a massive breakdown about stuff. But despite Gemma trying to call her, Samantha wasn't picking up, which again was completely out of character for Samantha, who was very close to Gemma. Just what had happened? But detectives weren't sure whether this was in fact Samantha sending the texts. As we said a moment ago, Already at this stage, they believe that Michael Sterling had taken Samantha. Had he also taken her phone? And was he pretending to be her by texting her sister Gemma? Further worrying news about Samantha came as a result of house-to-house inquiries, where neighbours of Samantha, during the time that Sterling was at the house that afternoon, reported hearing the chilling screams of a woman that lasted for around 20 seconds. They were followed by the words, Get off me, before the house went eerily quiet. Had Sterling not just kidnapped Samantha, but had he hurt her? Or worse? When the police spoke to Sterling about what they had discovered, he told them he'd been at Samantha's house on the day she disappeared, working in the back garden. Detectives knew this just wasn't true. The lead detective later commented, He put himself in the house as the last person to see her at the time when a scream was heard by a neighbour. He was telling us things that weren't true from the outset, so quite quickly it led us to believe that he was involved. By this time, detectives strongly suspected that Sterling had been having an affair with Samantha, and increasingly suspicious, they arrested him on Sunday, July 29th. At this interview, Sterling provided officers with a prepared statement, which said he had no knowledge of Samantha's whereabouts, then he refused to answer any more questions, responding only with no comment. The lead detective later commented, At that time we could not show that Samantha had come to any harm, so he was released from custody. Our concerns were now heightened. He had either kidnapped or murdered her so they placed Michael Sterling under surveillance. Over the coming days, detectives made numerous appeals to the public for information. On the 1st of August, police released CCTV of Samantha Eastwood, leaving work with a female colleague the morning of her disappearance, before driving off home alone. And two days later, her sister Gemma made a highly emotional appeal, saying how her family needed her home Where she belongs. It was a complete nightmare for the family and friends of Samantha, living their lives in the public spotlight as they made appeals, hoping against hope that Samantha was alive, and at the same time fearing the worst with every call or knock at the door. Meanwhile, detectives continued to track Sterling's movements and look through his mobile phone data and other information, find out more about what he may have done when leaving Samantha's house on the day she went missing. The amount of contact Samantha had, had with Sterling was apparent just in July, when telephone records showed that he'd called her 128 times, she'd called him back just 25. Then came a break. On Thursday, August the 2nd, Sterling led police to the area of Caverswall, a rural area not far from Samantha's home. Detectives were hopeful that this could lead them to Samantha. As evidence from Sterling's mobile phone revealed, he had been in the same area on the evening that Samantha had disappeared. Is this where he had killed and disposed of Samantha's body? The lead detective takes up the story from here. His behaviour on August the second was suspicious, to say the least. He was observed on a bicycle, which he secreted in the hedge and he ran off. I knew his phone had been in that area on the night she went missing. That led to us implementing a search strategy. We had a 1,000 metre radius as to where she might be, which is a huge area. We didn't want Sterling to know we were there. We spent the Friday scoping out how we were going to conduct the search, and we started searching on the Saturday, and within an hour and a half, we found her body. Samantha was found in a shallow grave, wearing pyjama bottoms and a white vest top, on the roadside near the gateway to a field and just 800 metres from where Sterling had left his bike in the hedge. Immediately, detectives swooped on Sterling and he was again arrested, but this time he was charged with Samantha's murder. Detectives were able to quickly build up a picture of exactly what had happened to Samantha. On the day she disappeared, Sterling was in the house after Samantha came home from her shift and he and Samantha were standing in her bedroom. Samantha dressed in pyjamas, ready to catch some sleep before her next shift when Sterling pushed her. She fell and hit her head on the bedside table Then, overcome with rage, in a fog of rage he later called it, Sterling smothered Samantha until she was dead. Samantha Eastwood died at just 28, on the floor of her bedroom in her own house, the place where she should have been the safest of all the places in the world. Sterling now set about doing all he could to literally get away with murder. He carried the body downstairs and laid Samantha on the kitchen floor and he taped up her eyes, nose and mouth as he didn't want to see her eyes open and wrapped her body in a blue and white checked sheet. He then reversed his van onto the driveway, bundling the body into the back and he drove off. What happened next, I think, is fairly hard to comprehend. He drove to his parents' home to meet his wife for dinner, and as the family ate that evening, Samantha was actually lying dead on the driveway in Sterling's van. After arriving back at his home later that night, He showered and changed his clothes before telling his wife that he was helping in the search for Samantha at some places she knew and liked, such as the Ego restaurant nearby and the Orange Tree Pub in Trent Vale. But Sterling's lies continued, and he was actually on the edge of Caverswall about to bury Samantha's body when he texted his wife to say he was actually at the Orange Tree Pub. Imagine being able to act so normally when you've just murdered someone you've been having an affair with and are about to bury the body. Detectives later tracked Sterling on CCTV that evening, which showed his van en route to where he buried Samantha. He arrived at about 10.30pm, leaving 40 minutes later at just before quarter past 11. The following day, Sterling posed as Samantha, using her mobile phone to send texts to her sister. He made up a story about her being unhappy at work and needing to get away to blow off steam. How long had he planned to continue this charade? In another twisted attempt to get away with murder, Sterling asked to view CCTV belonging to Samantha's neighbours as he said that he may be able to spot a clue that could help explain why she disappeared. In the days that followed, He even sent a text to Samantha's phone himself, saying, please come back, it's killing me. I want to give up without you. Had he just been hoping against hope that Samantha's body would never be found? And why did he make the mistake that led to his capture, returning to the burial scene? Was he trying to ensure that the body was very well hidden? The evidence against him was so strong that Sterling could not keep up the pretense of his innocence. And finally, his elaborate web of lies came crashing down around him until there were no more lies he could tell. Detectives placed his van at the locations where Samantha's phone was being used after she'd been killed, and they consulted with a forensic linguist who studied the text messages and was able to say that they weren't written by Samantha, but by Sterling and on the body too. Sterling had no way to explain what had been found as the tape on Samantha's body could be linked to him. The specific tape used to bind Samantha's feet and her hands matched tape that police discovered in Sterling's van. And the tape he'd used on her face was found to be from her house and they knew that Sterling was the only person who accessed her house before she went missing. It was months later, on October the 22nd, that Sterling faced court on murder charges. Thankfully, he pleaded guilty, saving Samantha's family and friends the turmoil of a full trial. He told how he had killed Samantha in an intense rage following an argument about their relationship and the killing had not been premeditated. His defence solicitor told the court that Sterling had been living a double life for so long, it was not difficult for him to keep up the pretense with her family and her friends. The court heard how the pair had met at Samantha's house some days after she finished work, and although the affair had been long-lasting, it was not particularly intense, which makes his actions even more confusing. Samantha's sister, Gemma, told a hushed court just how cruel and callous Sterling was, saying how he came to the house and hugged her the day after Samantha went missing. He went there on the pretense of helping the family when he buried her just hours earlier. Gemma Eastwood told how that moment would forever haunt her. Jailing Sterling for life with a minimum of 17 years and 52 days, one of the most callous and cruel crimes Stoke-on-Trent has ever seen the judge told Sterling he'd lied and lied again. She said, In the agonising hours and days following her death, you lied and lied over and over again in an attempt to cover up what you had done. You constructed a dishonest diversion strategy following the murder so you could bury Samantha's body whilst pretending to search for her. You took your actions to a new level of breathtaking cruelty he started sending text messages to Gemma, pretending to be Samantha alive. It is difficult to imagine the appalling distress caused by Samantha's family and friends. He weaved an extraordinary web of deception. Speaking outside court, Samantha's devastated sister Gemma said, I will never get the chance to say goodbye to my sister. The accused treated her like a piece of meat taping her up and burying her the way he did. Due to this, I was not even able to see her one last time in the chapel of rest and therefore may never achieve closure on the grieving process. I've been struggling to eat properly and I'm only eating when I feel like it. I constantly live in fear that should the accused be released from custody that he will come after me because I don't know the reasons behind what's happened to my sister. Since this has happened to Samantha, I keep passing people doing my day-to-day duties and can picture the accused face on them. And Samantha's mum, Carol, said, I keep thinking it should be the other way round. Samantha should be burying me. I was so excited when Samantha asked me to give her away when she was due to get married. I will now never get the chance to do this. I will never get the chance to have a grandchild. I feel lost without Samantha. I visit her grave daily. I just don't understand why someone would want to do this to my daughter. What did she do to deserve it? So what do you make of what we've heard today? As Sterling lies in his prison cell as you listen to this podcast, I wonder what he thinks about his actions on that July day. At the risk of repeating myself once again, I can't help wondering why you felt you had to kill Samantha this fog of anger. Why not just walk away? and how chilling is the summary from the judge about how he behaved just after the murder? You did not want to leave her with her eyes and mouth open and wanted her face to be protected from the consequences of burial, so you covered her face, eyes, and mouth with tape. You put her body in the back end of your van and drove off with chilling sang. Freud, You texted your wife an affectionate message saying you'd meet her at your parents' house as you duly did, enjoying a family meal. Your wife describes you as fine and cheerful. Samantha's body lay all the while in your van parked opposite. Just what sort of person can behave like this? But enough about Sterling. What really matters are the friends and family of Samantha who've lost someone with so much love to give. Once again, we've heard about another young woman with everything to live for. Killed by a man who couldn't get his own way. It is, of course, pathetic, but when is it going to stop? Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please just head to the Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search UK True Crime. And to support the show, please join our community on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Loads of bonuses, behind the scenes news, exclusive content and competitions. See you there. That's patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So, until we speak again next week on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And most of all, despite all the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now.